have a good idea that this is part of a, a wave of economic espionage. It's actually putting additional pressure on the U.S. economy. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Zoe Chase. Zoe Chase. We are really happy to welcome you to the Planet Money team. For our listeners, I will tell you that Zoe has been a producer on Planet Money in the past. She's been a fabulous reporter on the NPR Business Desk, and she'll be joining us for a few months. We're really, really happy to have you, Zoe. I am very happy to be here. Thank you. And the reason Zoe's here is for some more great news in the Planet Money family. Our own Hannah Jaffe-Walt and her husband, Lincoln Ritter, are celebrating the birth of their really, really adorable baby boy, Jacob. So Mazal Tov to you guys. And Zoe, we're thrilled that you're going to be filling in for Hannah for a few months. Thank you, little Jacob. Fabulous. So Zoe, you want to do the honors? Take it away. Sure. Today is Tuesday, June 14th, and that was cyber threat consultant Alan Paller, you heard at the top, talking on Bloomberg about the recent cyber attack on the IMF. On today's podcast, we are going to have our first personal finance episode. We're going to help you, our listeners, Get a little extra cash by teaching you through step-by-step instructions exactly how to steal a bunch of credit card numbers, sell them on the black market, and use them to buy ill-gotten goods. But before we get to that, first, the Planet Money Indicator from Jacob Goldstein. Hey, Jacob. Hey, guys. Welcome, Zoe. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Today's Planet Money Indicator, $3.4 billion. Airlines collected $3.4 billion in baggage fees last year in the U.S. That's according to numbers the government released this week. And, of course, these fees, they've kind of been coming on in the past few years. So if you look, last year the airlines collected 10 times as much in baggage fees as they collected back in 2007. But even compared to 2009, there was a big bump. Fees jumped up by about 25%. Now, can I get all of our listeners to despise me by saying the following? I can't wait. I love baggage fees and airline fees. (laughs) I honestly do. I think it's really good economics because what it means is before there were all these fees, everybody was paying for everyone who checks bags. I almost never check bags. I'm a really good packer. I've spent a lot of time and effort getting like travel weight clothing and learning how to (laughs) shove everything into a really tight bag. I don't want to pay for everybody's luggage. I often bring a sandwich. I don't want to pay for everybody's (laughs) meal. So I feel that these fees allow me to choose what is valuable to me. It allows you to choose what's valuable to you. And we're all paying the right amount. We don't go into the supermarket and just pay 100 bucks, and then everyone takes whatever they want. <laughs> that was an awesome rant, Adam. And, you know, it's good that you like this because this is clearly the direction that the airline business is heading. And the bottom line is, as it turns out, the business of selling tickets on airplanes, basically the business we think of airlines being in, It's a terrible business, right? Because tickets are essentially, they're commodities. You know, flying on whatever, American Airlines isn't much different than flying on Delta. So the airlines, they compete on price. And the price of a ticket, it often falls to the point where airlines basically lose money or maybe barely scrape by. So what the airlines figure now is, okay, we're barely scraping by on the tickets. Maybe we can make some money by selling extra stuff, you know, and baggage fees are just the beginning. They're, they're going to sell you Wi-Fi. Like you said, they're going to sell you a sandwich. They'll sell you access to the airport lounge, getting to board early, whatever. They're going to charge for everything they can, and they hope that'll be a better business than selling tickets on airplanes. Thank goodness. <laughs> Justice. <laughs> Justice, finally. Thank you very much, Jacob. Thanks, guys. So, Zoe, you did all the reporting on this podcast, so take it away. 
Okay. So on today's podcast, Adam, I'm going to basically walk you through step by step this sophisticated criminal network. And I'll tell you, it's like this wretched, scary netherworld. It's, it's this dark place where good and evil are reversed. Wait, didn't you say you went to Pittsburgh? Yeah, exactly. I went to Pittsburgh because that's where one of the top FBI agents in cybercrime works. You can go in and let me see. This is FBI agent Keith Malarski, our guide through the underworld where I'm going to take you. And he's taking me to the place on the Internet where you buy stolen credit card numbers in bulk, hundreds of thousands, even millions at a time. But one caveat real quick before we go inside. Although you'll see the sites that we go to, I would prefer us not to say what the site is. I just don't want them to know that we're we're looking. (laughs) Okay, Adam, so picture me and Malarski were sitting there in front of his computer screen, okay? And his browser is open to this login page that you have to go to to enter this site. Now, imagine a login screen to a super secret criminal site. Yeah, I'm picturing dark flames, a guy with a cat that he's... (laughs) It's, it's, that's a little bit further than they went, but that's in the right ballpark, basically. It's it's very somber, but it's kind of funny because it looks exactly like a site that sells stolen credit cards. Just exactly like it. It's black. It has this fan of golden credit cards across it and this login screen. So Malarski signs in with a username and a password. Use this one. Forget that name. <laughs> okay. So before I describe what we're looking at once we log in, there's something that I want to explain to you. So to even be able to see this site, to register and get a password to it, Malarski is using a fake criminal alias. And he had to convince two references that are already in the site to vouch for him to get his username and password. So it's basically you need two criminals that are already in to write to the forum moderators and vouch for your criminality, like Two references when you're applying for a job. That's so awesome because it's actually the opposite of applying for a job, right? You have to prove that you are not in any way an upstanding good citizen of the world. In fact, you have to prove that you are a criminal. Exactly. So once your criminality is established, that you are a verified criminal, you get inside and it is like the photo negative version of the sites you've been to, like Craigslist or eBay or Amazon. There are a lot of banner ads, but they're all for illegal things like illegal software, you know, hacking and phishing tutorials. And the background is literally black instead of white. But what is exactly the same as those sites like eBay and Craigslist are all these merchants selling stuff specifically stolen credit card information. Yeah, these are all the the, the different vendors uh, that are right underneath their advertisements here. So there are maybe 20 vendors on just this one page that we're looking at. Wait, wait, wait. But there is a major difference between this and eBay or Amazon. Like eBay and Amazon have spent millions, I don't know, billions of dollars making it clear that you are not going to have to do business with a criminal if you use our site. This is a site where you have to prove you are a criminal just to be on it. So if I'm going to do business with these people, if I know they're a criminal, what's stopping them from screwing me out of my money? I mean, that is the central paradox of this place. So to even get in here, you have to establish that you're the opposite of an honest businessman. You have to be a verified criminal. But then when you're in there and you're trying to do business in this marketplace, you have to prove that you can do business, honestly. So 
what they did was they actually borrow from the Ebays and the Amazons and have this rating system. And it's sort of community policing. In order to sell products on the site, you need to be reviewed. So if I was going to sell credit cards, what I would have to do is provide a sample of 50 cards to each reviewer. Then they would test them out and then write a review back and say, you know, XYZ provided me uh, 50 cards. And there was a good mix of classics and platinum and business cards. And there were 98% approval rating. So now I vouch for him to be a vendor on the site. Wow. So they... It's exactly like eBay and Yelp and Amazon and everything. You just rely on the wisdom of the crowd, in this case, the wisdom of a crowd of criminals to make sure people are trustworthy. Yeah, exactly. And all the sellers have these little profiles just like they have on eBay. So Malarski and I checked out one of the guys that's selling stolen credit card information, right? He had bundles of numbers that he was selling. He has some pretty good reviews. It said A++ under his name. And actually, there were even FAQs under his Like frequently asked questions for doing business with this guy? Yeah, exactly. The stuff in the FAQs is just like what's in the FAQs in general. You know, are there discounts for repeat customers? Yes, you get a discount. You know, do you ship in bulk? Yes, we ship in bulk. You know, all the FAQs that are on the site for any business anywhere on the web. All right, great. Well, I got to say, this guy who you just landed on, he sounds perfect. You said he gives discounts for repeat business. I Mm -hmm. plan to be in the credit card scamming business for a long time. He ships in bulk. All right, so... I want to do business with this guy. What do we do next? You click on it. That's what Keith Malarski and I did. We clicked on this guy's name and it takes you to a new page, takes you to his site. But these are criminals. So before you can go in, you have to enter your super secret criminal password again. And it's a lot of usernames and passwords to remember. And Keith sometimes has trouble. I forgot what the password was that I just put in before. Sorry. I'm surprised that you don't have like a long post-it note of like all your different handles and passwords. That wouldn't be very security conscious now, would it? No, that's true. <laughs> well, how do you keep track of it? It's going to stay in my head. Otherwise, I know that's why I'm screwing up. <laughs> okay. Eventually, we log in, right? But first, a little landing page pops up that says we have to agree to these terms and conditions for proper behavior on a site, uh, which are essentially no journalists and no law enforcement. We click OK. So in that case, it's exactly like the rest of the Internet. There's some (laughs) nonsense that you say I agree to, even though you are not in any way actually agreeing. You don't even know what the rules are since you are actually a journalist and he's actually – The FBI. The FBI. Right. But who do they expect? Like do they expect the FBI to arrest people? Like I'm sorry, sir. You're an FBI agent. You are not allowed to go on that illegal credit card scamming site. I mean – they're criminals, but they're very particular. You know, this is their shop. This is their business. And they all have their little quirks. Like this one forum I went to has spaces for people to post comments and talk about stuff. And the guy who ran it is this other criminal, and he had this rule. No caps lock or you'll be suspended for a week or more. And by the way, that was written in all caps. <laughs> That's awesome. So you can definitely trade millions of dollars of stolen merchandise, but you cannot use all caps right. under any circumstance. Right. All right. So you and Keith are finally inside the store, right? You're actually now seeing what products are on for sale. So so what do you see there? Credit card numbers. You just have tons and tons of credit card numbers, expiration dates and names and the three-digit security code. So I log on. I get vouched and everything. I'm in the site. I buy a credit card number, and then I can just use that to, I don't know, buy stuff on 
Amazon, get a big screen TV or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then some other random person gets the bill. Whoever's number you just purchased, their credit card gets charged for your big screen TV or whatever. Okay. And I'm thrilled. I just got it for free. I mean, I just had to pay whatever I paid for the credit card. And remember, what's kind of funny is this person whose credit card you just bought, they have no idea that their number is for sale on the black market. You know, they're still walking around with their physical credit card in their wallet and thinking that they're fine. Right, because you're not like you're not entering your address and having them mail you a credit card. They're just giving you the number. It's and, just the numbers. And the security information. So how do they get that? How do they get that number? How do they get all these thousands and thousands of credit card numbers? There's lots of ways, right? But two are the most popular. One is skimming, that you've probably heard of that. You know, it's those little things that criminals attach to legitimate places where you swipe your card, like an ATM, a gas station pump, a store or a restaurant. You know, you swipe your card there, but there's this little other device that's copying it and sending it to the criminal. And Keith actually showed me pictures from a raid he went to in Turkey of just boxes and boxes of this stuff. Here's a box of the electronics here so you could see uh, all the different pin pads. You know, there are literally thousands of them that were manufactured. So the customer, you know, makes their purchase, but unbeknownst to them, the skimmer has recorded the card information, the magnetic strip data. Without getting in the way of you doing your actual purchase. Exactly. It's just on the, top of it. The customer does their business just the same way. But the magnetic strip data of that person's card gets beamed to the criminal. And what it will do is then it will send a text message to the criminal uh, with the, the, the magnetic strip data. So there's this bodega near my house that has, I think you can only call it a pretty sketchy looking ATM machine. It's one of these where you, you know, you feel like you could just pick it up and carry it away with you. So that could have one of these skimmers on it. Yeah, there's skimmers all over New York and your credit card number could be one of thousands for sale on the market right now. You know, you just have no idea. But that's only one way that people can get the numbers. The, the Actually, the more popular sort of more effective way for criminals to get a bunch of credit card numbers is to hack. I mean, your bank has all the credit card information. It has thousands and thousands of customers. And if you just hack straight into the bank or straight into a store that had, you know, a thousand people come in that day and use a credit card swiping terminal, you know, you can get hundreds and thousands of credit card numbers in just one day. Wow. So I'm just thinking about all the things I do just in an average week. So Obviously, I have a bank account. So right. and we just saw like Citibank just was hacked, right? And mm-hmm. they stole tons and tons of data. So my bank, without me doing anything, could be hacked and my credit card information is taken there. The ATM I use to get cash, Skimmer can take my money there. Um, you know, I certainly use credit cards at restaurants and shops and any one of those could be hacked and my data could be taken there. I mean, it. you're making me feel like there's a really decent chance that at least one of my credit card numbers is on one of these illegal sites for sale right now. That's right. And you want to know how much your credit card is selling for? Yeah. How much do these go for? All right. Here's some of the numbers that Keith and I saw. American cards, United States Classic, $30. He's selling a platinum is $35. A corporate or business is $45. All right. That that seems like a reasonable price, I guess. Like a corporate card goes for a lot more because they'll have, I think corporate cards usually have really big credit limits, like 50 grand or 100 grand, whereas obviously just a regular old card doesn't have so much. But Mm -hmm. although I have to say, like, if I'm going to get a credit card that has a $50,000 credit limit, only paying 50 bucks, that does seem awfully cheap, come to think of it. 
I know, but there's so many of these for sale. Remember, you can get hundreds and thousands of numbers in a single day with a single hack at a single store. So it's just supply and demand. You know, there's a lot of cards on the market, so they're cheap. They might not work. They might have already been canceled. And the other thing to remember with with stolen credit card data is you can only use it once. The minute you actually use the card, the fraud department calls and the card is canceled and it's over. I see. So when I'm paying that $50 for the credit card, I'm taking on some risk. It might not work. Maybe I have to buy 20 to... That's why you buy in bulk. That's why I buy in bulk, right? Exactly. Okay, got you. Okay, so I'm in. I want to buy 20 corporate cards, figuring at least one or two of them will work, right? right? So I'm ready to make the purchase. 20 times 50 is 1000 bucks. So this is a site... Where to be on this site, you have to be a proven credit card scam artist. So do I pay my 1000 bucks with a credit card? <laughs> no. The preferred method to do business in this marketplace is a, is a digital currency. You know, there's a lot of them out there, web money and Bitcoin. And digital currency is this whole fascinating thing. And David and Jacob are working on a podcast about Bitcoin right now. So we'll get into that later. But just understand, there's another currency that we use. All right. So so that's how I do it. I send money through this mysterious thing that our listeners will learn a lot about soon <laughs> right. called Bitcoin. Um, all right. So, so I've paid them. What do I get? What, what, what do they give me? Okay, so you just bought a bunch of numbers. It's a it's a data file. It's a text document, basically, with a list of numbers on it. Now, I feel like I would be nervous to do everything online because I feel like even with Amazon next day shipping, they have 24 hours to figure out I stole the credit card and then come find me. So what if I want to take that data file of numbers and turn them into actual credit cards so I can just go to Best Buy, buy the big screen TV, and, and be done with it all, all in one quick transaction. You need a little bit more equipment to do what you're talking about. So Keith Malarski, you know, our guide, he jumps up when I ask him the same question. And he's got all the, the credit card making equipment in his desk drawer. My plastic is just like this. So he jumps up. He pulls out what looks like a, just a hotel key. You mean just like those white blank cards with a little magnetic strip? Right, exactly. So he's got one of those. He pulls out his laptop, and then he pulls out this little machine, and it looks kind of like a a toaster for very, very skinny little bagels. This is a device called um, an MSR-206, and uh, this is used for coating the plastics. Okay, so he fires up the laptop. He launches this little program on his computer. It's called The Germ. And it's actually a super simple program that's kind of cool. It's like GarageBand or something like that. So he pulls up the little text document, right, with the stolen credit card information on it. He copies the credit card number and the name onto track one. Then he copies the expiration date and the security code and pastes it into track two. We would have those numbers there. I would hit write card uh, like this, and then I would just slide, and it's coded. And he has a working credit card. It was like making a playlist of songs and then just burning them onto a CD. It was that simple. 
But now all I have is like a hotel room key. Like I can't go to Best Buy and say, I'd like that big screen TV. Here's my Hampton Inn card. Let me let <laughs> right. me swipe that. You know, like credit cards have all the raised letters and the hologram and the Visa logo and all that stuff. Yeah. And if you were serious about this, you would have those things. You know, those machines that do the raised letters, that do the holograms that make it look exactly like a real credit card. You know, they retail for around $1,000, and you can buy them on the underground. They're for sale, or you can actually buy them on eBay. Wow. So the guy selling it on eBay, I feel like that would be a good guy to look into. Maybe he's also doing <laughs> some of the other illegal stuff. Right. Like the five-star seller on eBay of the credit card-making machine might be the five-star seller in the black market. All right. So now I I actually have a credit card or maybe 20 credit cards with all the fake information. Mm -hmm. Now, so maybe the first few days I'm just buying myself stuff, I would guess, like big screen TVs, a car, whatever. But eventually I just want to get cash, right? So I'm assuming I'm like buying high value stuff that I can easily sell on a secondary market. Yeah. like, Like jewelry or I don't know, fashion items, handbags, things like that. Yeah, exactly. But you know, if you're a professional, it's not like you're the one doing all this shopping because that would be weird. You have a team of shoppers, you know. It's usually young ladies and they go to fancy high-end department stores where they don't stand out and they buy fancy handbags. They bring them back to you and you sell them on eBay and then you have a bunch of employees to pay. So you pay your employees down the line, all these steps that we went through, and also you have some money for yourself. That's the business. I'm just taking this all in. And you know what? I, I've, I've decided I'm not going to go into the credit card thievery business. Because you don't want to go to jail. No, I'm not even thinking about jail. What I'm thinking is it's just so much work, so much to keep track of. you got to like work really hard to get into these like black marketplaces. You have to have a staff of these young women. I'm picturing <laughs> that's a hard thing to manage. Mm-hmm. Forget it. I'm it's, not- it's a full-time <laughs> job. This is the full-time job of a lot of people. Right. All right. I do have one last question that I'm confused about. All right. Keith Malarski seems like an awfully sweet guy. He was very sweet. FBI agent. Anyway, how (laughs) does he know all this? How does he have access to this secret undercover world? Why does he have in his desk drawer all the makings of of illegal faked credit cards? So that's the best part of this whole thing. And I'm going to tell you the story of Keith Malarski. Okay. Yeah, well, since I was when I was running dark markets, I I had to be able to uh, if somebody would give me a card, I needed to make sure it worked, and the only way to really do that was to do this. Okay, let me just back up here. So what Keith is telling you is that for a while he ran one of the biggest sites in this whole underground stolen credit card world, and the site was called Dark Market. And five years ago, it was the place to buy everything you needed to steal credit cards. You know, the numbers, the skimmers, the hologram machines, all that stuff. And I learned about this whole story from this book called Kingpin. It's by Kevin Paulson. He's an editor at Wired and. It's a fantastic book. I think everyone should read it. It's exactly how to get the hacker's perspective on this work and find out more about this story. So back in the mid-2000s, Keith Malarski is on a new job at the FBI, and he's assigned to cybercrimes. At the time, there were two major criminal sites on the internet that he was watching. One was Dark Market, and the other one was called Carter Planet. And Malarski was just hanging out on those sites with this pseudonym that he'd had to come up with. I was watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and uh, there's a guy there called Master Splinter who's an underground rat. 
So Mularski created this whole backstory for this master splinter character, that he was a former spam king in Poland, and he eventually got Master Splinter vouched. You know, Master Splinter became a vendor on the site, and he was actually selling stolen credit cards. He was buying stolen credit cards, and he was tight with the people who ran Carter Planet and Dark Market. And at the time, the two sites were actually in this massive feud. So what that meant was each side kept DDoSing each other, which is this hacker term that just means crippling the other site with spam and constantly hacking into it. And he was talking about the feud with the moderator of Dark Market, who went by Jilsey. And one night while Dark Market was getting DDoSed, uh, it was a Saturday night at like 1130 at night, I said, what's going on with Dark Market? And Jilsey said, uh, we're getting DOSed. And I said, well, you know my reputation as a spammer. I'm very good at uh, setting up websites. I, I could hide them from law enforcement, obviously, because they haven't caught me. Uh, you know, and I'm very technical. I could, uh, I could secure this stuff. I have my site ready. I have my servers ready. And uh, he said, let's move it, bro. And uh, I said, all right, let's do it. So uh, and then we took it over. Were you just sitting at home on your couch? Just sitting at home on my couch. And so from his couch, while Saturday Night Live is on, Keith Malarski just took control of one of the largest criminal sites on the underground. And so he saw everything. He ran this site for a year. The FBI just gathered evidence and gathered evidence to make their arrests. And while they ran the site, they turned the malware being sold over to the antivirus companies. And they turned bank hacks over to the banks. It's a really, it's an awesome story. And in 2008, the FBI swooped in, arrested the kingpins of Dark Market and Carter's Market. It's a story in Kevin Paulson's book. And the underground just scattered. So, okay, so that's great. So credit card theft is over now. They got all the kingpins. They got all the people involved. We can all feel very comfortable, leave our credit cards out, share our credit card numbers with anyone because there is no longer an illegal credit card market. Your memory is so short. We were just in a store buying illegal credit card numbers. I mean, you got to think about it. It's, It's a young industry. You know, it's only about eight years old, this kind of organized credit card fraud. But but at this point, the markets, they've, they've built up a, a certain amount of redundancy. Like the infrastructure for this market is there. It doesn't matter if you knock off a couple people. You know, individuals come and go, but, but the market works. There's a system for it. It, it doesn't go away. And it's this mirror image, bizarro world of the regular internet market that we all live in, like point by point. That's what's so cool about it. Exactly. So, Zoe, I actually I have to admit, while you were telling that story, I was looking up something online because there's something that I'm curious about. Okay. Who pays the bill? So I know, of course, and credit card companies tell you this all the time, that if someone steals my account and buys that big screen TV, I don't have to pay for the big screen TV. Right. But there is a big screen TV out there that was purchased <laughs> through a fraudulent credit card. And someone is paying that money to Best Buy, Right. Well, yeah, according to the Fed, banks write off more than $3 billion a year in fraudulent charges. So here's this website I'm looking at. This is actually a legitimate website. <laughs> so you can tell me what it is. <laughs> so I can tell you what it is. It's creditcards.com. And it says that according to the Federal Reserve, there's about $800 billion in credit card revolving debt in any given year. So that makes me think $3 billion? It isn't that much. It's a tiny fraction of a penny for each credit card user. That might explain why the banks and the credit card issuers aren't necessarily that motivated to lock it down, to totally change their security systems and make everything much, much more secure. 
which makes sense to me. I mean, the, the credit card companies make, you know, 12, 13, 18 percent interest on $800 billion. They want to make that money. They want us using our credit cards a lot. And the fear of losing $3 billion just isn't enough to apply all sorts of new security procedures that would just end up having us use our credit cards less. Yeah, it's not worth it to the banks to try to put a serious dent in this market. Please do let us know, only praise, about Zoe's first podcast <laughs> at planetmoney at npr.org. We'd also love for you to visit our blog, npr.org slash money. Of course, you can visit us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Adam Davidson. I'm Zoe Chase. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 